Hello everyone, a big welcome to Cargoholic, the ultimate logistics podcast. On Cargoholic, we discuss the journeys of leaders in logistics and the disruptions which the industry is seeing today and will witness tomorrow. Hello everyone and uh, a welcome, a big welcome to Cargoholic. Uh, today we have with us uh, Dr. Shri Schreiber, uh, the CEO of Pretos. Uh, one of the world's largest uh, marketplaces for international freight. And uh, he's with us uh, from Israel. Uh, Shri, uh, great pleasure to have you on Cargoholic today. Great to be on. Thank you. So, excellent. So, um, just for all the listeners of Cargoholic, uh, we would love to just understand what Freightos does in a nutshell. Of course, uh, most of us know. But for the ones mm-hmm. who have... Now, come across, we would love to understand what Freitos does. Sure. I mean, Freitos does two things which are closely related. Uh, like you said before, we're a marketplace. Uh, we have a website where, which is like uh, Expedia or Kayak. Well, which site is popular in India for passenger travel? Do you use Expedia, for example? Uh, in so, uh, India, make my trip, clear trip, yes. Yeah, so we like those sites, uh, but instead of passenger travel, it's for cargo. So you can come into our site and say, I want to ship a container from Shanghai to Chicago. You compare prices from different uh, freight forwarders or different carriers, and you book. So we're trying to make booking um, freight just as easy as uh, booking passenger travel. Uh, The other thing that we do, which is related to that, is Freightos provides software to uh, freight forwarders around the world to help them to automate their price quotes so that they will be ready to sell online. Because in the past, uh, freight pricing was quite a slow and manual process, and that would not be suitable for a internet marketplace. So we also provide software to freight forwarders to help them to automate their price quotes so that they will be ready to sell online in, a, in an efficient way. So uh, as we know in the software uh, space and then started the marketplace uh, last year, uh, if I'm correct? Correct. Freightos marketplace provides quotes instantly instead of uh, days that it takes uh, today in the typical forwarding industry. And is there are there other value adds to a customer beyond price discovery and uh, new supplier discovery? <laughs> Yeah, I think, um, I mean, that's a good question. So first of all, it's not only uh, discovering prices and um, and suppliers, but it actually is cheaper because the site, you know, drives competition mm-hmm. and the uh, the ver- various freight forwarders very much want to receive orders from a site. So uh, in many cases, uh, we're literally making the, the service cheaper. And mm-hmm. for the freight forwarder, there's also an advantage that the cost of Sale is much cheaper because today the traditional way to sell freight forwarders is you have freight forwarding is you have a sales team and you buy them suits and you, you give them a budget to go and have dinner, uh, you know, with, with all of the importers and exporters. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, you know, there's a big advantage for the sellers here that they can receive orders which are prepaid with a much lower price of sale. Now, in addition to making the discovery easier for the buyer and in addition to making the sale easier for the for the freight forwarder or the carrier the other advantage we're trying to bring but it's not yet uh, it's not yet perfect but we're trying to make the whole transaction much smoother so that the track and trace is online uh, exchanging documents is online so we're trying to make sure that the whole process not just of buying the the freight services but the whole shipment 
is much smoother and much more online. Uh, honestly, that's still work in progress. It's still not um, perfect, but we're working very hard to make the whole uh, management of the shipment from the beginning to end, you know, much more online and much more transparent. Right. Sure. Uh, very nice to know. Uh, and uh, I'm sure uh, it is a massive task, right, with the number of stakeholders involved, each with their own silos of information. Um, it's absolutely, it's such a... It's such a huge task to get all the pricing from all the players and now now also to get all of the track and trace data. Just to give you a, a small idea of how big a task it is, uh, we've uploaded into our system about 100,000 um, Excel sheets with, the, with rates from air and ocean and trucking around the world. So we have a massive, massive operation for reading in Excel files because there are no, you know, no data standards in this industry. Yeah, very true. Changing rapidly, though. So, uh, yeah, the world, uh, at least the forwarders are waking up to this digital wave. So we should see a lot of changes very soon. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. So also with the freight marketplaces, like you said, uh, they have been around. There are a lot of attempts on trucking transformation on, on international air freight, also full container load, LCL, uh, chartering as well. Uh, the buzzword of freight markets, places has been around but a very deep dent and a very large behavior change has not uh, been experienced across we're still uh, some time away from having a, a massive change uh, towards exporters and importers using a marketplace instead of a direct forwarder relationship how has your experience been so far and uh, what do you feel uh, is going to help expedite this entire process yeah, I mean, I think that's true. That um, the adoption has been a little bit slow. Um, the the area that's probably most advanced, you, I, you know, you mentioned trucking, and, and at least in the US, uh, there is quite a lot of trucking going through marketplaces now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, you know, domestic trucking is a bit simpler when it comes to international. Uh, international air, international ocean, it's much more complicated. Um, the biggest, uh, the biggest driver that we see for people starting now to buy air and ocean services in an online marketplace is the growth of e-commerce. Uh, you know, because of e-commerce, you now get millions of little retailers around the world where in the past it was a lot of work to set up as a retailer. You needed a store, you needed a warehouse. And nowadays, you know, people just, um, just become e-commerce retailers. They use Amazon's warehouse. They sell on the web. Um, and so there's, uh, you know, millions of little retailers popping up. And, and those guys need quick service. They're, they're, they tend to be younger people who grew up with the web and they're used to doing things online. So we're definitely seeing uh, e-commerce as a major driver for adoption of, of you know, marketplaces for freight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... You know, for the bigger, sort of more uh, traditional companies, then the adoption is slower. But still, I guess the biggest driver, again, is, is you know, young people coming into the industry, people who prefer to do things online, who don't want to do it the traditional way with having lots of dinners. So, <laughs> uh, so that's, another constant, that's another constant driver. Every year, another generation of millennials comes into the industry. You know. And now moving on to... The digital forwarders and elaborating on that, we've seen several digital forwarders like Flexport and iContainers and and a few dozen more. They are trying to disrupt the forwarding space. 
have you seen these e-forwarders execute differently on ground now we all know that these e-forwarders have apis instead of excel sheets and manual forms which does improve the coordination and the back and forth in terms of rate discovery and booking but on the physical execution is there anything different that these e-forwarders are doing which could give them a sustainable advantage or is it purely a forwarder with great technology i i think they you know that's a good question i mean they they're certainly trying i mean the fact is they still are doing a lot of manual stuff i mean flexport is the biggest digital forwarder have got hundreds of employees i think i think about 600 um right. so there's still a lot of uh, you know still a lot of manual processes happening for sure um but what they definitely do better is they definitely provide a better customer experience where you can you know get all the information on the website and it's a beautiful modern website mm-hmm. so they definitely have a better user interface and i think that they're working hard to try to make the back office more automated i'm not sure if if they're there yet or not but they're mm-hmm. certainly putting a lot of effort into making the back office more automated and, and that takes many years but over time you know they'll be um that they will have more efficient back offices as well got it okay sure uh, and also from the digital forwarder perspective uh, on ground uh, have you seen any different initiative in terms of uh, sales or in terms of marketing uh, which the new age forwarders are doing differently uh, because it's very hard to distinguish today between a traditional forwarder and a digital forwarder except that a digital forwarder has better technology to interact with third party tools better but is there anything different on the marketing or sales side well i mean to some extent because they use uh they 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 make better use of modern tools like uh, google ads for example mm-hmm. some of the traditional forwarders do that as well but the digital forwarders tend to be uh, you know they tend to be very web focused and they use a lot of uh, google ads and online advertising mm-hmm. maybe more so than the other um you know than the other forwarders do right um but still i think they still have direct sales teams who sit and you know who have meetings with the customers so they still use some traditional sales techniques as well okay fair um one uh, possibility of the future and this is something that a lot of uh, folks believe from the logistics industry believe is possible is that digital forwarders today around the world all these startups uh the beauty of an offline network like wca is uh, you can interact with trustworthy parties uh, when we have digital forwarders on both sides and they can interact with each other through apis with more real time information a uh, digital forward alliance is a possibility in mm-hmm. the future and if that does happen the customer experience will be extraordinary and uh, will really uh, be tra- when uh, you compare it with a, with an, an offline forwarder what's your take on that do you think that is a possibility um, if it does happen how this is i uh, would love your thoughts yeah um in theory it's a possibility but it really hasn't happened very well uh, even you know like you said wca is a, and and the other networks are very offline you know their clubs and they they meet once a year and they have some insurance but you know but the data is not uh, exchanged in real time mm-hmm. um and yeah we we tried you know the customers who are using our software they have their they have their prices much more automated 
mm-hmm. so you would think that they would uh, be, you know, be sharing the the rates between partners and that kind of thing. It's not happening nearly as much as I hoped. Um, so maybe that will happen okay. in the future, but maybe on the other hand, right now the people who are finally doing that are the global forwarders. So, you know, we work with global forwarders like Panopina and Hellman and and, and others. And they are finally putting in place systems to share rates between all of their offices in the world. So and in the past, they didn't even do that. Wow. But the, so the global forwarders are finally getting their act together, you know, slowly to share data between all of their offices. That's happening. Mm-hmm. The networks, yeah, it's a good idea, but I haven't seen it happening at all. Got it. Okay. All right. Sure. And... Now, despite digitizing, freight forwarding is still an offline process, very dependent on relationships. And one major fear which most marketplaces have is once a customer has repetitive shipments and starts building the right relationship or perception about a freight forwarder, they would want to go deal direct. And the current challenge is that how can a marketplace which makes money on this layer uh, with transaction costs, how will customers agree to continue to pay a marketplace when they can, they have an incentive to go direct? Is this a challenge that you all are facing and how do you think the marketplace pricing is going to evolve in the future? No, I think it's actually important for us as a marketplace to stay neutral and not to become a freight forwarder ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one thing we we will do is if there are you know, there will be cases where carriers like airlines or ocean liners are willing to sell directly to the shippers. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we will allow them on the marketplace if they're set up, if they're able to give good service to a small shipper, if they're able to deal with door-to-door, then we'll allow the carriers to sell directly as well if they want mm-hmm. to. So okay. it's an open marketplace. We allow forwarders, uh, we allow carriers in the case where the carriers, you know, got the suitable capabilities um but we don't want to compete with any of them so um our policy is not to be a freight forwarder got it sure and there are some models uh some in india and some in some other countries uh, where it there is a marketplace and they also have a forwarding company which they have an equity stake in they don't manage the operations mm. but it exists um now there the like the trade off we discussed uh, other forwarders are unhappy about it <laughs> so um mm. from from a neutral perspective as a business model um what do you feel is the is the rationale of having both um and is that sustainable <laughs> it's a good question i mean that that happens a lot in this industry it's kind of strange but you know musk line who's the biggest ocean liner, they they own Damco, which is a very large freight yep. forwarder, <laughs> yep. and, uh, which competes with all of Musk's you know, freight forwarding um, customers. So right. that kind of uh, channel conflict is actually quite common in our industry. So I guess if a marketplace wants to own a freight forwarder, then the freight forwarders might not like it, but they might accept it in the same way that they, you know, that they accept Musk or, or um, you know, having a freight forwarding division. So I think it's possible, but, um, you know, I prefer to have more focus and uh, let the freight forwarders do the freight forwarding and, you know, and, and us focus on being a marketplace. So uh, we'd only have to reconsider that if the freight forwarders really don't give a good experience. Mm-hmm. You know, then we'd have to say, okay, you know, our, our customers are not getting a good experience. Maybe we we have to get more involved in the freight forwarding itself. Um, but that is not our preference, and that is absolutely not our strategy. Uh, you know, we we hope to 
remain a neutral marketplace and not to be and not to own any freight forwarder. Sure, fair. Like we were discussing about forwarders, there is some dependence on forwarders like any marketplace would have on their suppliers. There is also a lot of dependence on third-party services in specific services. Let's take full container load, for example. So uh, Intra, for example, is the platform which is used by pretty much uh, every forwarder in the in the world and also a lot of uh, direct carriers, uh, uh, direct shippers and exporters and importers. Um, if mm-hmm. Intra decides to progress, and there have been some talks regarding that, decides to progress with spot rates for full container load that Mm -hmm. essentially makes intra a platform where one can discover rates make a booking file an si uh, file the vgm and do the entire end-to-end process for full container load specifically it does have Mm -hmm. large implications on other tech players what what do you think is the impact in the short run in the long run and and generally on the industry as a whole well, I, I mean, I know Intra quite well, and, and like Intra, I, I don't think it's particularly likely that they would get into that for for regulatory reasons. You know, Intra is owned by or half-owned by the carriers. Right. And um, in the past, they've been very careful not to get involved in managing rates because mm-hmm. because of the uh, regulatory pressure to, to avoid the carriers, you know, fixing rates with each other. Right. So I'm not I'm not a lawyer. I don't know if they could find a way around. But I know that in the past, for legal reasons, they've uh, you know because they're owned from the by the carriers, they've kept away from the whole issue of rates. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Intra is not a monopoly. You know, they have um, they do have a couple of competitors. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but, but they are the biggest, uh, so they do have a unique position in that respect. So I, I don't think it's likely they'll enter that, but of course I don't know for sure. Right. And uh, and if they did, you know, they do have important uh, relationships which would give them some advantage in, in the for full containers. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, fair. So I mean, only time will tell is <laughs> is uh, what I'm guessing. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, just uh, to continue on on the same path about uh, the other subcomponents that, for example, an intra offers to the customer. Um, beyond, like you said, price discovery and uh, the other track and trace service, customer support is also broken in the freight forwarding industry, which a lot of enterprises uh, are trying to fix. So, from a marketplace perspective, there is the possibility of offering a beautiful customer support experience, but uh, it comes as a, at a trade-off because that increases the number of coordination layers where the information flow, because it's not real-time, comes later and hence the customer gets the information after uh, a marketplace gets it or any intermediary gets it. How do you see the customer support uh, changing in the industry and do you think uh, layers and tech platforms should evaluate doing the customer support themselves? Well, I mean, yeah, customer support is critical. And, and like you said, uh, you know, I agree, it's very broken. I mean, most customers have a bad experience with their shipments. Right. Um, so that's a major, it sort of goes back to what I said at the beginning. It's a major uh, effort in our marketplace to make sure that we're making that better and not, you know, certainly not worse. Um so we we spend a lot of time getting data integrations, not just for the rates, but also for the track and trace. Mm-hmm. You know, we we try to make sure that as soon as the container is booked on the ship or, or the cargo is booked on the plane, we get the uh, container number, the bill of lading number, or the airway bill number, and 
we try to make sure that whichever supplier it is, we get that data with the first ones to know which ship mm-hmm. it's booked on, which plane it's booked on. And then we integrate to other services which are providing track and trace for, you know, for planes and for, and for ships. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, so we're able to, uh, you know, we believe that we're start, we're getting to the point at least where we provide, you know, much better data than you would get working directly with the typical freight forwarder. Uh, because mm-hmm. we will, you know, we'll be the first to know which ship it's on, and then we also have a real-time integration to ship tracking. And so, in the end, Freydos will be the best place to see, you know, uh, in, in virtually in real time where, where your container is. Now, that solution okay. is not yet uh, perfect by any means. There's many holes and many cases where we don't, we're not told in time where, where the airway bill is, or mm-hmm. um, so there's plenty of issues. But we're working. We have a quite a Big team working just on that problem and, and making sure that you know that we become a very efficient data hub and uh, end up providing a better customer experience. Uh, hopefully, without too much human interaction. You know, hopefully most of the customer support will be on our website, self-service, and then of course we also have people when uh, you know to talk to the customer when needed. But that's already a failure. You know, we would like. Sending, we, we want to make sending a container just as easy as sending a, a FedEx box or a DHL box where, where you have complete, you know, track and trace online and it's all very transparent. Yeah, yeah. You That's would. the goal. <laughs> but it's still a, <laughs> yeah, it's still a process to get there. You're, you're going to be blessed by every exporter and importer in the world <laughs> once it becomes <laughs> as simple as that. I hope so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, customers, right? Uh, going to the customer experience that we're speaking about. Uh, today, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, because forwarding is such a commoditized space, um, the customers not only enjoy a great price, but also great credit periods. And... Uh, all the larger businesses have some or the other arrangement starts at 15 days, goes upward to 180 days in some very, uh, very poor scenarios. How do you think a marketplace, uh, can handle this or even an e-forwarder? How can a, how can a tech platform, uh, handle credit at scale because of thin margins and any default wipes out a fairly large value? Um, what do you feel should be the approach towards credit? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great question. We, we have quite a lot of uh, discussions about credits. Uh, of course, that's not an issue just for marketplace, but any business-to-business interaction, there's always a debate around credits. Um, with import and export, it becomes much harder because it's not just the credit for the for the shipping, but there's always a debate about the credit for the for the goods themselves. And if you're importing from China, it becomes much harder to, to guarantee the credit because, you know, the, the Chinese customer doesn't know, doesn't have a good way to evaluate the credit risk in India or in America or, or in France or whatever. So uh, credit is a huge uh, problem. I agree with you. Um, and it's a little bit silly. I don't know why. It, it's, a, it's a problem throughout business and it's kind of a silly one. I mean, it, it, somehow the world would be much simpler if everyone along the supply chain paid in real time. Uh, but instead what happens is I ask my suppliers for 30 days, then they ask their suppliers for 45 days, then they ask their suppliers for 60 days, and everyone's walking around with this uh, credit risk. 
which is really kind of silly. So if I was going to redesign the whole of you know business, I would say everyone should pay in cash, and that's that. Um, but of course, of course, I'm not in a position to do that. So like everyone else, we, we've created a team who assess credit and decide who can get credit and how much credit, and we. Um, you know, get credit insurance and work with the credit rating agencies. So we're dealing with that whole headache, like uh, like everyone else. But you're right; it's a, it's a it's a silly headache, and and the uh, the cost for us of giving the credit is probably more than the benefit uh, for the company who's receiving the credit. Correct. Um, so the whole thing is a little bit silly, but uh, but that's how the world works, and we're not able to change that at this time. Right. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, lo- lots of solutions around uh, around how to optimize the process. But you're right, uh, uh, customers want credit. Uh, that's not going away. <laughs> yeah. We also have another question, which is related to the value adds by any marketplace. Price discovery is one excellent value add which any marketplace brings. But there is also a coordination which is offered as a value-added service where instead of coordinating with several freight forwarders, one can coordinate only with a marketplace. Now, the trade-off is that this marketplace coordination is another layer on top of a layer, which increases the complexity and the delay. So what do you feel about this and how should this value-added service evolve with time? Yeah, I mean, I I think it depends on the nature of the industry. I think, you know, freight, international freight is a good candidate for a marketplace because there are a lot of, there are a lot of suppliers. There's there's quite a few shipping lines. There's many, many airlines. There's millions of trucking companies. So, um, if you want to get the best price, you know, the best price today is uh, one vendor has the best price price today. A different vendor has the best price tomorrow. And so you get a good advantage by working with a marketplace and, and having the flexibility to, to, you know, use the best vendor on any, any, uh, if went offline and started buying just from one freight forwarder, pretty soon they're going to start, you know, overcharging you and you won't see what the other offers are there. So, so partly it's because the, the market, the, the, the market situation is changing every day that there's an advantage for a marketplace. And then, Secondly, is what you said before, if the marketplace is, you know, if it's providing good extra value, if, if it's providing better track and trace, if it's giving you good credit, you know, those are all those are all things which make the marketplace more sticky. So there's always an issue. There'll always be some people who go off the marketplace and go direct. You can never have 100%. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think if you provide good real time information, good service, good um, you know financial terms, then then it can be a pretty uh, sticky uh, business model as well. Sure, sounds good. Uh, just yesterday we heard about IBM and uh, Musk uh, doing a joint venture now from the pilot that they did a few months ago. Mm. Now a joint venture to uh, mm-hmm. for the blockchain uh, hyperledger platform for the entire supply mm-hmm. chain. The news mm-hmm. articles speak about a lot of other uh, stakeholders also uh, accepting to share data. And this seems to be uh, the start of something very large. Uh, now, of course, customs agencies to remain offline, but terminals and, and transporters and uh, ports, for example, and, and some, some custom stations specifically are ready to share data. So if mm-hmm. this sort of 
an open platform is available to anyone to track any commodities. Um, what do you feel are its implications? One second, what do you feel is the timeline uh, that you, with your experience, feel will will Musk, despite having the muscle of Musk, uh, being able to pull off and get uh, all the top ports and terminals and transporters and customs uh, online to share data? What, what's what's your take? Well. Nothing, nothing happens quickly in this industry. So this is a process of uh, many years, I think. Um, but it's exciting. I mean, you're right. Musk, you know, if anyone, if anyone can start to drive change, it's Musk as the number one ocean liner. Yep. So, um, I'm definitely excited that they're getting into it. But there, there are many issues. It's not just the openness of, of the data, but it's standardizing the contracts and making the terms and conditions clearer and more consistent. You know, everything is very informal in this industry. Mm-hmm. Not only not only it's offline, but even offline, the contracts aren't well defined, and the penalties for not showing up are not well defined. So, it's a very fundamental change. Not not primarily a technological change, but primarily a change in the business culture, which mm-hmm. I think will take many years. But I I hope I'm wrong. I hope it will be quicker. <laughs> yeah, you have uh, supporters just to just to carry forward that uh, point that you mentioned is there something that industry bodies uh, or just players of the industry can do together uh, for example both fretos and wamaship are marketplaces and uh, and we're both trying to bring as many offline uh, players online now similarly what do you feel industry bodies or or tech platforms in general can do together to make uh, mass adoption quicker. Anything uh, on your mind? Well, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, data standards would be great. So I've I've been kind of disappointed by the lack of progress. For example, in air cargo, there's uh, IATA, who are a very influential industry body. You know, all the airlines belong. And they've created some sort of standard electronic documents, but the standards are not complete and they're not, you have to pay to even see them. And right. um, many of the message formats are missing from their XML standards and, you know, even after some years. So it's been a disappointing effort. I think IATA could do much, much more if they if they put their mind to it and they created complete and open standards. Uh, and in ocean, in ocean, I don't even know that there's a there's a effort like that. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot that could be done in data standards. In other industries, that's worked much better. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, unfortunately, in our industry, not so much. Fair. Got uh, the perspective. And, uh, lastly, would love uh, to hear your advice. Uh, we have a lot of young uh, supply chain professionals who are listeners of Cargoholic, and uh, we would love to hear... Uh, What's your advice on uh, how to be prepared for the future and uh, and how to leverage uh, Logistics 2.0, if we may call it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I think what's clear in, in supply chain and in, in business in general, you know, business is becoming more and more dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to create, a, you know, agile organizations. Uh, in, in the past, many people, they sort of created a tender with all of their, you know, all of their shipping for a year. Uh, but that's not possible um, anymore. You can still do that for some things, but mo- you know now products are changing every quarter or every month, and, and supply chains are changing the whole time. So um, you know organizations must create uh, you know an agile environment, um, and that's where you know um, you know sort of online services like Vamaship and, and Pratos can can definitely help with that, and um, you know they should demand. 
Supply chain professionals should demand full visibility, price transparency, uh, track and trace online. They should demand that from their service providers. And if they don't get it, they should switch to a service provider who can give them that kind of uh, service. You know, that's what's needed nowadays to do business effectively. Right. Great advice. Uh, thank you so much, Sri. Uh, it's been your, it's been our pleasure to have you on Cargoholic and, and great perspectives. Uh, a lot of dots have connected and I'm sure our listeners would have had uh, great insights and takeaways from this conversation. Thank much for inviting me. So, yeah, yeah, good questions. Thanks. It was a good good conversation. Thank you for tuning in to Cargoholic. We look forward to your suggestions on our social platforms and on cargoholic at the rate Any suggestions or feedbacks related to the guests we should invite or the type of content we should speak about are more than welcome and we look forward to connecting with you all offline and stay tuned on the next episode of Cargoholic which we will announce very soon and a big thank you again for tuning in. And then started the marketplace uh, last year, uh, if I'm correct? Correct. work towards also on the uh you from what you mentioned about the traditional enterprises uh like flexport i contain a few uh, a very large number of them who are trying to become uh be called as the digital forwarder the new age freight forwarder are they doing something different on ground uh or is it only a freight forwarding operation with a customer platform which is enabled, but everything continues to be offline? Have you seen anything different among digital forwarders? I, I think there. Uh, digital forward science is a possibility in mm-hmm. the future. And if that does happen, the customer experience will be extraordinary and uh, will really uh, be transformative when you compare it with with an an offline forwarder. What's your take on that? Do you think that is a possibility? Uh, If it does happen, how this is... I would love your thoughts. forwarding division as well because they have all the data anyway now the trade-off on the marketplace side is you compete with your partners <laughs> which uh, right, uh, right. is not ideal but once you have customers and once you have data why not make that extra buck as a forwarder right is is the is the third party perspective what's your take on that that mm-hmm. essentially makes intra a platform where one can discover rates make a booking, file an SI, uh, file the VGM, and do the entire end-to-end process for full container load specifically. It does have mm-hmm. large implications on other tech players. What, what do you think is the impact in the... Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, lo- lots of solutions around uh, around how to optimize the process, but you're right, uh, uh, customers want credit. Uh, that's not going away. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Uh, um, so just a, a few questions. Uh, so one uh, to continue. Uh, uh, despite uh, digitizing, uh, and thank you so much, Sri. Uh, it's been your it's been our pleasure to have you on Cargoholic and and great perspectives. Uh, 
a lot of dots have connected and i'm sure our listeners would have had uh, great insights and takeaways from this conversation much for inviting me so yeah they're good questions thanks it was a good good conversation appreciate it absolutely